Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our conversation on the basics of tort law. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We'll be talking about current events and our society uh, today. It is September the 6th, and on this day in 1995, Baltimore Orioles shortstop Cal Ripken Jr. played in his 2,131st consecutive game, breaking Iron Horse Lou Gehrig's record for most consecutive games played. The Iron Man was credited with a reviving interest in baseball in a 1994 work stoppage, forced the cancellation of the World Series, and soured fans on the national pastime. Ripken's father, uh, Cal Sr., was a former minor league journeyman catcher who, after his wife Vi instilled the perfect practice makes perfect philosophy in Cal and his younger brother Billy. Cal was a high school pitcher and uh, shortstop for Aberdeen High School in Maryland, where his father coached for manager Earl Weaver's Orioles, one of the most successful teams in baseball from the 60s through the 80s. Cal Jr. once got uh, off the f- to take the infield with the team and learned that the tricks of the trade from the best in the business. In 1978, the O's made Cal their second-round pick in the amateur draft. He made his major league debut three years later. And on May the 30th, 1982, began a streak of consecutive games played that would last 17 seasons. That's a big deal. Later that year, Weaver switched the 6'4 Ripken from third base to shortstop, a position that was at the time typically played by smaller men. Ripken's uh, quickness... Great baseball instincts made him a natural, and his success uh, redefined the shortstop, uh, shortstop archetype. Ripken was named Rookie of the Year in 1982 in the American League, uh, American League MVP in 83 and 91. Ripken went on to play 2,632 games in a row before ending the streak by voluntarily removing himself from a game against the New York Yankees on September the 19th, 1998. Ripken retired in the 2001 season with a lifetime record for home runs by a shortstop, 345, a record for fielding percentage by a shortstop in a season, 0.9956 in 1990. He played uh, in 19 All-Star games, was awarded the All-Star MVP in 1991, and in his last All-Star game in 2001, in which he hit a solo home run, He's elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2007. A record 75,000 fans attended his induction into the Hall of Fame. Just an amazing career. It's so incredibly difficult to be able to play a full year without having an injury or actually being on the bench for a while because of some sort of soreness. Not Cal Ripken. In fact, I met him and had a conversation with him for some reason. I started off by saying, you know, I saw you thrown out of a game in Baltimore. I was there at the game. He stopped, looked me in the eye, and he told me everything that happened, what the umpire said, what he said, why it happened. It was such an interesting conversation. Anyhow, Cal Ripken, uh, last game, uh, uh, passing the um, Ironman Lou Gehrig. Well, a divided Congress returned this week after a month-long summer recess facing important deadlines and a long to-do, to-do list of tasks to keep the federal government functioning. The first order of business is to fund the government before September the 30th deadline, or it shuts down. The Democrat-led Senate returns Tuesday, and on the two key chambers are far from agreement as Speaker Kevin McCarthy's right-wing members rebel against a short-term bill to prevent shutdown and buy more time for negotiations. It's not only that, but Mike Getz, uh, Getz is saying, uh, you're going to have to also start impeachment proceedings or uh, we're going to vote you out of the speakership. So uh, McCarthy's under a lot of pressure. Let's see how he responds because, again, the uh, conservative wing uh, of the House of Representatives doesn't have a sense of humor about putting these things off. <clears throat> Biden campaign is planning to air a new ad entitled Got to Work, 
I don't know what the heck that means, but uh, <laughs> highlights President Biden's economic achievements amid inflation. The ad will run during the NFL season opener on Thursday across lo- uh, local broadcast networks in Michigan, the home state of the Lions, as well as in the battleground states such as Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Iowa. The campaign plans to spend at least seven figures promoting the specific 30-second spot just hours after Biden-Harris campaign unveiled a new ad bragging on the administration's efforts to save the economy. A new survey has revealed that voters just aren't buying it. In the latest Rasmussen poll, survey shares with secrets, 52% said the economy has gotten worse under Biden, while 31% said it's gotten better. 31% must be those receiving food stamps because they get inflationary uh, increases. (laughs) I have no idea why somebody would think the economy is better under Biden, but nevertheless, there's some sprinkling of folks out there that believe that. Well, after parentally and uncritically repeating Biden's false claims about cutting the federal deficit, the Washington Post admitted Sunday that Biden will double the deficit this year up to $2 trillion dollars. The paper's elite editors and reporters are mystified that U.S. deficit explodes even as the economy grows. But did the Beltway get the sucker on, suckered on the Biden boom that exists largely due to a sham statistics? Cynics now claim that the Commerce Department no longer refers to its Bureau of Economic Analysis, but instead to the Biden's economic alterations. So at the press... Just so complicit with all these lies coming from out of the Biden administration. It's hard to believe Biden hasn't dropped out of the 2024 uh, presidential election race yet. His numbers are really that bad. According to a new poll from the Wall Street Journal, a large majority of Americans, 73%, don't think he's mentally up for the job of being president. Joe Biden is already the oldest president to take office at the age of 77, and he'd be 86 at the time of the hypothetical second term ended, assuming he actually wins and serves the entire time. This assessment of Biden was bipartisan as two-thirds of Democrats agreed that Biden is just too old to be president. You never remember how aggressively, you'll probably remember how aggressively the media pushed the narrative that Donald Trump was mentally ill during his presidency, going so far as to invite professionals who'd never examined him to conclude on air that Trump was fit, wasn't fit for office and should be removed via the 25th Amendment. I certainly remember that. Well, those efforts failed spectacularly to convince the public. The same poll that found 73% think Biden is, is several fries short of a Happy Meal uh, found that less than uh, half say that some the same about Trump, who in three years younger than Biden and clearly much sharper. In fact, there's really no comparison. As part of the numbers uh, are for Joe Biden, as bad as they are, they may not be the worst numbers for him in the poll. A mere 40% of voters have deluded themselves into thinking that Biden has a strong record of accomplishments as president, compared to 51% who say that Trump had a strong record. Worse yet, for Biden, it is the fact that a solid majority of voters, 58%, say the economy has gotten worse on his watch. Just 28% claim that <clears throat> to think that it's gotten better. Despite this, nearly 75% of voters believe that inflation is heading in the wrong direction. Trump also has the edge with voters who say they'd definitely vote for him. Uh, 40% say they definitely vote for Trump if the election were held today, and 39% they'd vote for Biden. Just 17% say they're undecided. Now, that may sound close, like uh, Trump's just leading by a point, but remember, this is all decided by electoral votes. And uh, basically, to be even, Trump Biden have to be at least 3% ahead in terms of the popular vote. As we head into the election season, it's quite clear that Biden has failed to convince voters that he's done a good job. Still, with a recession looming next year, according to economists, Biden's chances of victory in 2024 don't even seem particularly solid. Uh, that's for sure. So what's going to be the next move on the uh, Biden campaign? Well, you know, I wonder if he'll be the candidate. I really do. We'll see. Well, some good news. This has uh, kind of inspired me. A 34-year-old Marine Corps veteran who is a husband and a father of two made his college football debut for the University of Virginia Cavaliers during the weekend. On Saturday, Saturday Mac Ganyard uh, took the role of handing, handling the kickoffs for the Cavaliers, who are also known as the Wahoos, the Hoos, as they faced off against the Tennessee Volunteers in Nashville. 
16 years later, the dream lives on. I'm truly humbled to announce that at 40 years, 30 years young, I'm officially a member of the UVA football team, Ganyard posted on X. Good for him. 34 years of age, still has the fire to play collegiate football. Very cool. Well, Chicago's the latest city to uh, sue Hyundai and Kia for failing to equip their U.S. cars for more than a decade with anti-theft technology, uh, which was exposed on social media last year and made the vehicles a target for criminals. Unlike the movies, hot-wiring a vehicle is far harder than it appears unless the vehicle was manufactured by Hyundai or Kia, the lawsuit filed on Thursday said to the city by the city of Chicago. Other cities have filed lawsuits against Kia and Hyundai, including a rise in vehicle thefts, including New York City, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Baltimore, and other cities. Both Kia and Hyundai are already offering to fix the theft-prone models to make them safe through software updates and steering wheel locks. More than a million vehicles were stolen in 2022, up 7% over the previous year, according to the National Insurance Crime Bureau. Illinois saw the largest percent increase in vehicle thefts at 35%. That's amazing. While Washington came in second at 31% increase. <clears throat> Chicago saw a larger rise in vehicle thefts than any other city, with 55% increase in Chicago, according to a lawsuit filed last week. Despite being only 7% of the vehicles in Chicago, Hyundai's and Kia's made up 41% of the stolen vehicles in 2022. The impact of car theft on Chicago's residents can deeply destabilizing, particularly for low- to middle-income workers who have fewer options to get to work and take care of their families, that according to the mayor. Uh, the failure of Kia and Hyundai to install basic auto theft prevention technology in these models is sheer negligence as a result of citywide and national crime spree around the automobile theft has been unfolding right before our eyes, eyes said the mayor. See, this is, this is, if you were to leave your keys in the car, in the ignition, in Saudi Arabia or one of the uh, Middle Eastern countries, the car would still be there. It'd be no problem. If you left $30,000 on the table, a gambling table in the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, nobody would touch that money. Uh, and, of course, that's being the surveillance. It's also the enforcement of the law. It's incredible that, be, uh, that right now we're worried about enforcing uh, making companies put in uh, crime prevention materials instead of just enforcing the law. If you, if you steal a car, you're going to get serious punishment. Uh, our eyes are on the wrong ball, quite frankly. We need to enforce the laws and make sure that America's property and persons and people are safe here in America. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just want to remind you that Lou Louise Diner is now serving dinner. Wednesday through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m., and the menu's just terrific. The food is great and great value as well. Lulabee's Diner in the uh, Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Terrific organization. I hope you'll check out the website, Cato.org. So, Bob, uh, we started our conversation on tort law last week. So, wonder if you could just uh, remind our listeners about uh, what is tort law. Tort law is the branch of law that resolves disputes over injuries between strangers. And by that, I mean people who didn't have an opportunity in advance to negotiate as, as to who's going to bear what risk. So the obvious example is a pedestrian that's injured by a negligent uh, driver. Uh, they didn't meet beforehand to discuss who was going to pay under what circumstances. And that's contrasted with contract law, uh, which is about people that do have an opportunity to talk in advance about who's going to bear what risk. So that medical malpractice, for example, ought to be under contract law. Unfortunately, it's not. It's more typically under tort law. But, you know, a doctor and a patient, they can discuss in advance uh, who has the opportunity and who bears uh, what risk at what price. So that's the difference between the two. Well, thank you for that. And, uh, of course, we, we know that there's some problems here in Florida, but is the federal government constitutionally authorized to enact uh, tort reform? Well, some folks claim the Commerce Clause, you know, the all-purpose Commerce Clause. Um, as the country uh, grew, uh, some folks believe that many of the problems required national regulatory <laughs> solutions, so Congress earmarked this constitutional power mm-hmm. uh, to justify its ambitious uh, federal agenda. And um, the central reason that the Commerce Clause appeared in the Constitution was this. Uh, under the Articles of Confederation, the national government didn't have the power to regulate interstate commerce, and so each state was free to impose tariffs and quotas on goods coming across state lines. And the Commerce Clause was included in the Constitution so that the feds could ensure uh, that there would be uh, free uh, interstate trade. Well, that certainly makes sense. And in other words, it's kind of operating like uh, 13 separate countries <laughs> uh, under the uh, Articles of Confederation. But uh, Exactly that, right. Yeah. Yes. So what's the role has the federal government played in resolving the medical malpractice problem? Well, Congress has considered <clears throat> legislation that caps uh, malpractice awards and limits the attorney's fees, um, you know, maybe a dozen times. And uh, the Republicans are supposed to favor federalism, but uh, um, Bush, for example, called malpractice a national problem that requires a national solution. Mm. Uh, anytime a malpractice lawsuit uh, drives up 
the cost of health care. It affects taxpayers. So he says it's a federal issue. Um, now conservatives are supposed to be champions of enumerated uh, federal powers, so you wonder why they would federalize uh, medical malpractice. Uh, the Democrats were, were just as bad, but in reverse, of course. They usually love federal regulation, but not when it might offend their tort lawyer uh, client base. So, ironically, the one reform of medical insurance that would clearly be authorized uh, appears nowhere in any of the Democratic uh, legislative proposals. And that reform is to repeal these state-imposed bans on the interstate sale of medical insurance. Uh, instead, the same Congress that wants to control uh, medical care within every state has permitted all 50 states to erect this type of barrier that the Commerce Clause was written precisely uh, to tear down. And if I'm not mistaken, Bob, uh, if we were to tear down those barriers, it would uh, be great for the consumer and lower costs. You bet. And uh, it would not be as good for the tort lawyers, <clears throat> and that's why the Democratic Party has consistently uh, favored the, the latter rather than the former. So uh, what have the states done in this area? I think Missouri is a good case in point. Uh, these runaway lawsuits <clears throat> were driving up the cost of doing business and forcing uh, doctors and other business owners to uh, close their doors. And Missouri was ranked by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in the bottom 10 states for its legal environment. But then a Republican governor decided to do something about it, and he, he prevented uh, form shopping, you know, hunting around for the state that would give you the best deal legally. Um, and there was a new law that required cases that would be heard in the county where the injury occurred. And they changed <clears throat> what's known as joint and several liability. That, that's the rule that says that if there's one deep-pocketed defendant, uh, that defendant could be forced to pay all of the damages, uh, even if the defendant caused only a small fraction of the damages. So Missouri's uh, uh, medical malpractice claims have declined as a result of those changes. And Mississippi is another case in point. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce warned its members to avoid Mississippi because it was jackpot justice. So the doctors um, left the state and hmm. insurance companies pulled out. Uh, and that was later reversed by a new tort reform law. And like, uh, like uh, Missouri and, uh, and like Florida, Mississippi is no longer infamous as a uh, judicial hellhole. So you mentioned Florida. Any comments on Florida? Because uh, I, I talked to a friend who was a, a neurosurgeon. He said, you know, I, I would consider moving to Florida, but right now the malpractice issues are so, so severe there. I just don't want to make the change. How are we doing? Well, we're doing well in areas other than malpractice, but it is true that the malpractice issue needs a good deal of reform. I mean, we have these very large awards, and we have situations where Doctors are held accountable uh, for everything that goes wrong, even if what goes wrong is not due uh, to their negligence. Hmm. Uh, so as a result, insurance premiums go way up, costs of medical care uh, go up, government budgets are impacted. Um, it's a shame because in other areas of tort reform, Florida has done very well, but we do need some work in the malpractice area. Oh, thank you for that. So what would you recommend that states do? Well, I think first they ought to enforce these arbitration provisions. Uh, often doctors will want to avoid the risk of a big jury verdict and, uh, and the cost of a lawsuit. And so they, will, they would, if it were enforceable, write these arbitration provisions uh, into their uh, medical care uh, contracts. Um, and uh, and uh, the patient would benefit by lower costs and the doctor would benefit by not uh, having to face the prospect of a huge uh, jury verdict. Um, so that's one thing, but these yeah. arbitration awards are rarely enforced. A second uh, state-based state, state -based reform was implemented in Missouri, and this was this joint and several liability uh, reform that I mentioned, the deep pockets rule that permits injured patients to collect all of the award from some deep-pocketed defendant that may not have caused uh, all of the award. And then, and then third, the states should rein in these punitive damages, which are intended to punish 
uh, a wrongdoer uh, for, you know, particularly egregious conduct or repetitive uh, conduct. But these awards have skyrocketed, yeah. and I think the, they should limit, uh, the state should limit these punitive damages to cases involving actual malice or intentional wrongdoing or, at a minimum, at a minimum gross negligence. Uh, but the accidental injuries arising out of ordinary garden variety negligence should not be subject to these quasi-criminal penalties. Couldn't agree uh, to more. Deter conduct. So is there anything the feds can do? Yeah, they can reform the tax code, and we've talked about this in the past, and I'm sure you've talked about it with Michael Cannon from Cato. Uh, all medical insurance premiums, uh, almost all, are paid by employers in this country and not by patients, and that's because the businesses can deduct uh, the cost of medical insurance in computing uh, their taxes, and uh, no such deduction is available to you or to me when we buy our own uh, insurance. So it's more economical for each patient not to buy his own insurance, but to have the employer uh, buy it, and part of the cost then is picked up by Uncle Sam. Uh, ironically, this this policy drives another wedge between the patient and the doctor. So not only is there insurance company in the middle, but also there's your employer in the middle, and the net result is that the patients almost never monitor very closely the cost of their medical care. Yeah. Uh, so the, the solution there is to allow the patients to deduct the cost of medical insurance against their personal income tax, and that would eliminate the incentive for employers to pay for health insurance and remove the employer uh, from the doctor-patient uh, relationship. And as a result, consumers would do what they usually do in other markets, and that is shop around yeah. uh, for reasonable prices. Uh, so tax reform would work, and of course it's constitutional, but um, there's some movement in that direction, but we need a a long ways to go. Well, with regard to TART reform, one thing I've learned uh, visiting with you, Bob, is that there's a lot to be done. (laughs) 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 I really appreciate your commentary on the show. Again, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Golf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions, Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, 
and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's professor and also author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here in the show. Good morning, Bob, and it's good to be back with you. Great to have you back. Just, you know, climbing out of the depths of COVID-19. I, I hope you don't mind my sharing your private, private medical information, but uh, anyhow, it's great to have you back. How was the journey, by the way? Was it a severe case? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Was your uh, COVID case uh, severe? Um, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's what I've, I've experienced. Uh, it was, I thought it had tremendous impact, more so uh, intellectual than, than even physical. Huh. Although the physical was significant, but the, the impact it makes on your, the way your brain functions is, is absolutely um, uh, unanticipated. And from what I understand, it can lead to long-term implications that, that affect the, with the quality of your thinking process. So um, I'm optimistic that will not be my case, but I've read that consistently as one of the, one of the ongoing side effects, Bob. Wow. Comes with aging too, Andy. So in any event, uh, well, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I wonder, we usually start our interviews with uh, good news. Do you have some good news for us? I've got a few pieces of good news that I think are worth mentioning. Let me just start out where I indicated I would uh, with some quotations or a quotation. Let me just start out with one that's sort of a a personal joke between you and I. But this is a, a quotation from John Kenneth Galbraith, the economist, who said, we all agree that pessimism is a mark of superior intellect. So let, let me just throw that into our conversation. But the quotation I really wanted to bring out was Ronald Reagan's quote where he says, government exists to protect us from each other. Where government has gone beyond its limits is in deciding to protect us from ourselves. So I think that's exactly what we're seeing right now is is government protecting us from ourselves with uh, no gas stoves, no gas-powered cars, uh, no beer, uh, that we must stand six feet apart, uh, the police must monitor our speech, uh, the, the COVID lockdowns. Uh, so we can see this, this, this constant process where the government has gone beyond its legitimate function of protecting us from each other and essentially started now uh, to engage in activities of protecting us uh, from ourselves. This ties in with a, uh, an essay I recently published, uh, which was called, When You Hear It's For The Greater Good, Run. Yeah, and certainly the, the phrase for the greater good has been used consistently. Uh, and let me just, there's a quotation that I offered in that, in that essay. It says, for the greater good the phrase that always precedes the greatest evil. And so that is a, a concept that I think has to be understood, that it's a manipulative term that's almost always used by totalitarian governments. In other words, anything that we have to impose on you, any draconian uh, uh, barrier that we put in your lives uh, must be understood as serving the greater good. A very dangerous premise, and yet it's exactly where our government is operating at this point, Bob. Yeah, I must say I published that column, your column, on my website this morning. I hope you'll visit uh, bobharden.com and just check out a series of essays by Andrew Joppa. It's called Correct Me If I'm Wrong. It's at the top of the website, pull down, the pull-down tab, and you can read the comments. It's really quite interesting and quite good, and I absolutely agree with you. I'll also add this. It's not only expanding, it's ignoring the the enforcement of the law, I'm talking about the executive branch, and getting into our personal lives, perhaps at the expense of focusing on what the law is and and the need to enforce the laws on the border. It's just you can go down the list. So many laws are not being enforced. But but this is exactly the pattern we see with almost uh, every totalitarian government as it emerges. You know, the the first uh, entree is to to deal with the larger, more significant uh, uh, economic and, and, and social issues. But then, as it gains greater power and, and uh, demands greater power, uh, what you always see is this, the imposition on the individual and their life choices. So that's exactly where we are right now. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem to have any uh, limit. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's something that we have to recognize is a very serious thing. Unfortunately, because probably half of the Americans have no problem with it, Bob. And that's that's becoming the larger problem is the the mass of Americans who are totally are oblivious to the implications of these impositions on their personal lives, Bob. I immediately sprang to my mind that uh, the notion of the our founding fathers and that there was a probably a small minority of people that had these same concerns, but they ended up ended up 
uh, enduring and and uh, winning uh, the day by, uh, for example, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So uh, I guess that's a note of optimism. Hopefully we'll turn the tide. Well, the, these our country is built essentially on the rights of the individual and the and the sanctity of the individual. Right. Uh, that's that's the focus that any any sound uh, government that is focused on freedom will always be. But we've lost that completely at this point. Yeah. We no longer fo- focus on the individual. Now everything is within the group process, the group analysis, the group the group impact. The individual has been totally uh, lost in this entire discussion in in current America. Uh, let me just sort of add, Bob, this will require a larger discussion, but uh, Milton Friedman, the, the, the late economist out of the University of Chicago, uh, had been a strong advocate of the legalization of drugs. Now, this discussion, as I say, requires longer, a longer discussion, but his point, and I think it's a point that to the largest extent I, I support, is that most of the damage we see uh, with the government's restrictions and control of drugs, making them illegal, has created nothing but dangerous street drugs and the corruption of our entire political process because of the enormous amount of money generated. Now, again, as I say, this requires a much longer discussion, but I think on the immediate surface of it, I would say that the vast majority of the deaths and damage are caused not by drugs, but by illegal drugs, Bob. I would agree with that, and uh, drugs should be uh, legalized, in my opinion. But also, uh, quite frankly, the consequences of using drugs should also should not be shared with society. In other words, you got to take personal responsibility for your life. If you choose to take uh, uh, habitual drugs or uh, drugs that are uh, uh, harmful, uh, you should live with the consequences. So, uh, and unfortunately, it's society that steps in to try and deal with that. Well, I mean, that, that again, is the problem that we face. It would, I, although I may say I advocate for legalization of drugs, I, I do not advocate for the commercialization of drugs. Yeah. In other words, if we look at what's happened with marijuana, recently at the United States Tennis Open, a lot of the tennis players were, were complaining that they could hardly breathe because there was so much um, uh, marijuana smoke in the, in the atmosphere that it, was, that it was intruding on them. So once we, we go to a legalization of drugs, we cannot, and I think that's what you're suggesting, we cannot get into a position of advocating and promoting drugs. Drugs. Yeah. They still have to be seen as an evil in, unto themselves. So we have to make that clear. But unfortunately, that is not what America does in situations like this, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. Well, I, I, at the expense of perhaps, I'm going to leave things in suspense. I'd like to find out if we have any other good news. Uh, right now, we need to take a break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to do more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. 
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, they help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Uh, we kind of cut you off here with good news. you have any good news for us? A couple of good news stories. Nothing dramatic, of course, because this is America 2023. Right. Uh, but U.S. oil production has returned to the pre-pandemic level. Now, that's a, a good news story. It's not dramatic, but I think it's uh, in itself it's, it's worth noting. Uh, also, another story, the... Uh, we conservatives, I call myself conservative for this purpose, uh, have a love-hate relationship with the comedian Bill Maher. And Bill Maher sometimes is more penetrating than anyone on the right in terms of certain stories. And recently he has highlighted the, uh, the lack of concern or focus with the number of African-American deaths caused by African-Americans, particularly in Chicago, that these deaths are ignored, uh, while in fact we can identify that the vast majority uh, of deaths of blacks in Chicago are caused by other blacks, and yet this is, this is totally ignored. And Bill Maher makes a, a very important case uh, that this is something that should be highlighted and should be, and should be made a, uh, uh, a central focus of the, of the government of Chicago. And I think that's, that's a good news story, that anyone is willing to, to go in those directions. And just one more is the, uh, in the interview with uh, Hungarian President, Prime Minister Viktor Orban, uh, with Tucker Carlson, uh, Orban indicated what many of us feel, I feel certainly, is that the, the only man to save the Western world is Donald Trump. And I totally believe that. Uh, you know, I believe that for, for several, many, many years now. Uh, but I think it's, it's an obvious thing to anyone who's, who's thinking rationally about the current state of America, Bob. Absolutely. And just remind our listeners that if you're not listening to Tucker Carlson's interviews on X or what used to be Twitter, they are just fabulous. He's got one coming up with the former gay lover of Barack Obama. That'll be dropped any day now. That should be interesting as well. Not as interesting to me. I'm just uh, really fascinated by uh, all the interviews that he's done up to this point. But uh, I just encourage you to go to, I'll call it Twitter or X, and just uh, do, uh, look up Tucker Carlson. Tucker on Twitter, I guess he calls it. Yeah, I, I was surprised at the numbers I've heard when he was interviewing uh, President Trump during the uh, presidential debate, and there were 256 million hits uh, on that uh, on that interview, which uh, that number seems uh, incredible. I can't, I can hardly believe it. Yet I've read that number yep. in several different sources. So uh, the implication of of Tucker's uh, interviews and impact. Uh, is obviously incredible, Bob. It absolutely is. And in fact, this this uh, interview that I just mentioned uh, on Barack Obama, seven million hits on the trailer that's, <laughs> that has been dropped uh, about the interview. So you know, one of the strange things with this Obama story in terms of homosexuality is the the left certainly the LGBTQ community uh, certainly supports that community. They advocate for it, and yet here, when it's even suggested that President Obama has uh, a homosexual background or a bisexual background, at least. I mean, they push back as if it's the worst thing you could possibly say. There, there seems to be a very incongruous 
message coming from the left as it pertains to this issue with Obama, Bob. Uh, absolutely. So it's just incredible. I mean, I could care less who he chooses to spend his ter personal time with, quite frankly. I mean, it's got nothing to do with governing the nation, but irrespective, uh, it's, it's the mores of this country are just unbelievable. Uh, any other good news? Uh, not, no, no more good news, but I, I do want to point out an absurdity that I think is unfortunate for the conservative process in America, political process. Uh, recently, the um, uh, attorney general of the state of Alabama, Steve Marshall, uh, said in a court filing that he intends to prosecute abortion providers if they help state residents obtain the procedure out of state. Now, this is this is just so absolutely inappropriate. And if you're talking about going into the elections in 2024, and certainly the left will build a lot of their campaign platforms around the uh, around the abortion debate to hear these kind of comments coming out of a uh, of a conservative state attorney general, uh, Steve Marshall, in this case in Alabama, I think is very, very damaging to the to the political outcomes that we'll look at in 2024. Well, I would say take it a little further. Can you can he possibly cite a law that he was enforcing when he does that? It's there can't be a law against that. That's just un, this is what the left does. They make up stuff in terms of, uh, for example, indicting uh, President Donald Trump. It's just all wrong. Should just enforce the laws. The laws that are on the books. If you either like, if you don't like the laws, or you want other laws, do it through the legislature. Well, uh, Marshall, uh, Steve Marshall suggested that the uh, this process of a cooperative uh, movement to get abortions out of state is part of a criminal conspiracy uh -huh. because abortion is illegal in Alabama. Uh, it's this kind, again, to, to become redundant, but I think it's an important redundancy. I think it's this kind of nonsense yeah. that really damages us in terms of the uh, our standing, particularly with, with younger American women. And if we're going to reach that group of people, then I look, I, I, am, I am against abortion categorically as a moral principle, but we're, we're not really talking about that. We're talking about legal principles here, Bob. And right. uh, when uh, this attorney general uh, goes in those directions, I think he is uh, acting in a manner that in my estimation, is blatantly illegal, Bob. And political as opposed to uh, uh, working in the, the frame of the law. So thank you for that, Andy. Before we move to the next uh, break, uh, Andy, any comments on Labor Day? Well, I, I, I use the Labor Day to, uh, to emphasize a point that I've made throughout my entire <laughs> teaching career, I guess, is that uh, it's often cited that America is built on the, the backs of the laboring man. Now, uh, my family, uh, other than myself, up to myself, uh, have all been blue-collar laborers, and I, I admire them. I admire the, the contributions they've made to their families. But to suggest that this is where America has built itself is, I think, a, a dramatic overstatement. I build the case around the fact that around the world, every country has an abundance of labor, and they've used that labor as, uh, as dramatically as they could, sometimes a low-paid labor, sometimes under, under pressure. But again, these countries have not been able to build themselves around the, the sweat and the, the backs of the laboring man. Uh, what America has contributed to this process was to harvest the entrepreneurial spirit, the intellectual contributions that have enabled the laboring man to become far more productive and therefore able to move because of that productivity into the middle class. So again, I'm not diminishing the contributions of labor. What I am saying that in itself is not sufficient to build a sound economic system. You need uh, entrepreneurs and you need the, the inventive, creative minds of Americans uh, that have created these organizations and have led to profitability. And profitability is what pays the bills in America. It pays the salaries, it pays for research and development, and it pays for the existence of government itself, Bob. Well, as uh, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, says that, uh, you know, uh, labor in and of itself should be celebrated, but labor can't get much done without capital, capital being goods, not only money, but also uh, inventions. And as you're pointing out, uh, the, you know, the the uh, equipment in order to get the job done in North Korea, for example, they could be di digging a ditch with spoons and axes. Uh, but here in the United States, we have uh, big equipment to push dirt around. So the point being is that uh, it's a, a partnership between, and, and a partnership that can't be dissolved. It has to be a partnership between capital and labor. Yeah, I mean, I, I pointed out in my, in my essay on this that 
certainly many of the intellectual contributions that have improved the output of labor have come from labor itself. Right. In other words, the, 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 this does not exclude uh, the, the intellectual contribution of, of labor. So I am saying that it is the intellectual contributions that make all the difference, ultimately, uh, in terms of the outcome. Samuel Gompers, who is cited as being the, the founder of the American labor movement, made that clear yeah. when he said the most important thing to the laboring man is for a company to be successful, to make a profit. If that doesn't happen, then nothing else can happen, Bob. Uh, so I think that was recognized uh, over 100 years ago, and it's something we've, we've lost track of today, Bob. No question. And you need to take a little break and you stick around? I'll, I'll be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you of, about Sizzle Dining. It's a three-week promotional event running from tomorrow through September the 27th. 55 participating restaurants in Naples. Each rest- restaurant donates a dollar for every lunch or dinner purchased to the Blessings in a Backpack of Southwest Florida, the nonprofit's local chapter that feeds food insecure elementary students. So it's a every, it's a win-win-win for everybody involved. You get to try new restaurants during the slow season, and uh, you can go to sizzledining.com, uh, the event's website, to find out which restaurants are participating and uh, what the fixed-price menus are, both for lunch and for dinner. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be here, Bob. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I know that we've d- discussed uh, Sanderson and his run for the presidency. Uh, what are your thoughts now? Well, as I always start any discussion on Ron DeSantis, I, I have to point out, uh, before I make any other comments, how much I admire Ron DeSantis and the contributions he's made to Florida. One can only imagine what Florida would look like yeah. if uh, DeSantis had lost the election, the governor's election, uh, to Andrew uh, Gillum, oh. uh, a definable crook and corrupt human being. Uh, so Florida would have been in, in dramatic trouble if Ron DeSantis had not won that election. So starting there, my admiration for Don, Ron DeSantis, uh, I'm going to quote one of the recent uh, 
conservative commentators where he said this could be the beginning of the end of a promising political career. That has always been my fear with Ron DeSantis in this process. His willingness, apparently, and I think it was uh, poorly advised, to directly take on Donald Trump in this campaign may, in fact, be the end of a promising political career. Uh, If we look at the recent polling numbers, excuse me, the Wall Street Journal indicated that it can't even be cited as a two-man race. It's it's Donald Trump and essentially everyone else. Uh, at this point, uh, uh, people like Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley are, are running neck and neck with DeSantis for second place. Uh, so this is a, a circumstance where, where Ron DeSantis has uh, not shown really the showmanship or the or the quick wick that wit that was needed to knock out other contenders. He has not done the job, and then he's made some critical mistakes. For example, when he referred to many MAGA supporters as being uh, like a listless vessel, uh, indicating that they have no principles that they're that they're they're. Uh, basing their their positions on, which for those who support uh, Donald Trump uh, find this certainly insulting uh, and obviously wrong. Uh, I know many people that are uh, strong Donald Trump supporters, and they support Trump not because of who he is as a human being, but who he has been as a contributing president to this country. So th- those are all issues of policy and principle. And I think that's, that's, where, we, uh, that's where we stand. You know, DeSantis is, in fact, coming out uh, of this whole process, um, I think, on the short end of the stick. I think if he had stayed just quietly in the background and, and just watched the events unfold, he could not take on, the, on Trump directly. But if Trump faltered, either because of legal implications or Trump's own decision to withdraw, then DeSantis would have been the logical go-to choice. I think that is no longer even true. Uh, what would have been true if DeSantis had not announced his candidacy is no longer true at this point, because I, I think he's exposed his lack of national drawing power uh, as a as a conservative national candidate. Bob. Well, thanks for those comments, Andy. You know, I, I disagree uh, slightly. I think I, I agree with everything you said about him. Being our governor, he's done a fantastic job. Uh, I, for one, I think the memory of the American people is short when it comes to these political issues. I'm personally happy that he got into the national race. I'm happy that he got punched around a little bit. You know, like uh, Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the nose. (laughs) So, you know, this is the national stage and uh, he's new to it. And uh, he's going to, this is a learning experience for him. I think he'll be a fantastic candidate in uh, the 2028 election run. I don't think any of this is going to splash on him long term. So I, I just have a different take on the entire thing. But uh, his, pro- his problem is that, uh, quite frankly, uh, Trump is insurmountable at this point. Well, as I as always in these discussions, I want you to be right. It's one of these uh, situations. I I want that to be true. What you indicated, uh, I think that DeSantis has to look at the uh, the art of war, Sun Tzu's art of war, where he states uh, he will win. Who knows when to fight? and when not to fight. Mm-hmm. I think in this case, uh, DeSantis has chosen the wrong time to fight. Uh, and I, I hope you're right. I hope there's, there's nothing that sticks to him. I hope he's Teflon as he goes, uh, as he goes forward. Uh, but again, I'm seeing too many uh, of the supporters, for example, Murdoch, uh, withdrawing his financial support from, uh, from uh, DeSantis moving to try to prompt uh, Glenn Young, Youngkin to, uh, to get into the presidential campaign. Uh, I think it's also being revealed, for example, that he, he sponsored a bill when he was in Congress to uh, have Puerto Rico become a state, which yeah. is obviously detrimental to the Republicans. Uh, he's also recently made some comments which are not uh, sitting well with many in the military, where he somewhat aligned himself with the SEALs when he describes himself as being on, on the missions with the SEALs in Iraq. And uh, the one thing I've always done in Viet- when I talk about Vietnam is to make it immediately uh, available to my audience that I was in the Air Force. I wasn't uh, in the trenches like a Marine or a SEAL or an Army guy. I wasn't a grunt in the field. I was Air Force on a base. So I always, I don't, I never want to steal reflected glory, but I think in the comments that's, that uh, DeSantis made, or his lack of comments actually of disassociating himself directly from the SEALs, that he, he sought glory by aligning himself with them, Bob. 
Well, it's an interesting point, Andy, and I, I think we're going to leave it at that because, uh, again, I think we're both in violent agreement that uh, DeSantis has just done a fantastic job and continues to do a fantastic job as our governor. So uh, hopefully, uh, like I say, when 2028 comes, he'll be the outstanding candidate. Andy, always appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. All right. Thank you so much. All right, uh, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including uh, Keith Law, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich, and our former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll tell your friends and let them know that's one of the ways we support our sponsors. And I want to thank you for listening to the show and supporting the show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.